the most impactful thing has been my integration work, the integration work that I've done and coupled with plant medicine has been the thing that has shifted my mind, rewired my brain to a place where I knew it was possible. I knew that I could have this sense of self. I could feel it somewhere in there, but nothing else that I worked on, nothing else that I did dug into the place that I knew was there. No matter how much I willed it to happen, no matter how much I believed it could, I personally needed the support of psychedelic therapy and healing to get into the depths of myself in the way that that supported me to do. Hello, and welcome to the Veritatos podcast, where we believe that leadership is first and foremost, a spiritual path. My name is Dr. Lauren Borden. I'm a professional certified coach, industrial organizational psychologist, and your host. Together, we'll bridge the divide between the practical and the spiritual, the conscious and the unconscious, and of course, the mind, body, and spirit all to support you in deepening your growth so that you can create the impact in the world that only you can have. It is so good to have you here. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. I'm so glad to be able to welcome Mel onto the podcast today. I'm like, okay, how would I describe Mel? Melanie, so how did we meet? Do you remember how we officially met? I think that it was, I knew of you, you knew of me for a little while. And then we got on a call and there was just an instant like, oh, I know you. (laughs) And it went from there. Yeah. And we like had one of those moments where we realized how aligned so much of our stories were and like what we were moving through in the world. And then like a few months later, you reached out to me and you were like, you showed up for me in one of my visions and like, you should come to this retreat center with me. And then we went on vacation together. Yeah. And the first time we met in person was like, hi, let's go to Costa Rica together. That's like how we do. I think that's kind of how both of us actually do friendship. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And it's also like, Mel, when I feel into you, like I often think of the phrase best friend to all. So quickly you're able to meet people and be with them and have all of them be welcome and feel seen. And just very quickly, like knowing you has been so beautiful because it's like given me this awareness of what true friendship actually feels like. And it What's remarkable is that you are that to so many people and you that's in your leadership, that's in your coaching, like that's who you are in the world. Melanie is a coach. She is a leader in the C-Suite Collective, which is the company that both of us are in. She does integration work and works on a very deep soul level with her clients, but also works on very traditional executive coaching things as well. Team building, facilitation, and is also a projector for those of you who know human design. So on our team, like the way that I often experience you is that something can be happening in the room and you can just be completely silent and thoughtful on the side and you open your mouth and bestow upon the group this beautiful wisdom that like everybody needs to hear to connect us to our why and our vision and the things that we're moving through as a team and just have been the most beautiful and 
like powerful guide for what we have going at the C-Suite Collective. So I'm just so excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you for coming. Thank you so much. What a beautiful introduction. And I feel like the way that we met and the way that we connected and the way we continue to connect is like one of the most natural feelings of who I am because of who you are too. Mm. But yeah, knowing you, being your friend, being your colleague in all of the ways that we connect, it feels like home. Mm. Thank you, Mel. The feeling is very, very, very mutual. Well, and so for those of the listeners who don't know you, if they do, this will be a, a recap, but tell us a little bit about your journey and just where you are now and what brought you here to being a coach, being a leader and the journey that nobody sees perhaps. Yeah, it really has always been this way for me as long as I can remember. And it just didn't have a form until I got into coaching and even further into Reiki and integration work and things like that. When I think about the start of it, I can pick out points in my life where like, oh, this was the start or that was the start, but really it's always been. And when I was really little, it just looked like I emoted a lot. <laughs> like when I was really happy, when I was in bliss, I was in bliss. Like every time it rained, I wanted to go outside and get messy in the mud. And it was like heaven to me. And when things felt disjointed or painful, it was like catastrophic. And I just, I felt it all, all the time. Mm -hmm. And when I was being programmed to feel it quieter or less, I couldn't. And when I was younger, when I was in school and I wasn't supposed to cry when I felt pain or, you know, scream in delight when I felt joy, I could curb it a bit, but it felt so unnatural. And I just never really closed any of that down. So mm -hmm. throughout my life, it sometimes looked like a hindrance. And I sometimes believed that it was. And then over time, I found different people, different philosophies that started having me remember and recall that all of those things were actually a gift. And um, it's been such a journey of remembering. And um, I would say the start of it was the start of remembering that it was a gift and not something to suppress was when I started meeting really creative, critical thinkers in college. And then I really broke into my own way when I moved to Key West in my early 20s. And even then, it was like I was trying to live the life I was supposed to, the like salary job, the have a boss, do it that right way. And even, even in that, I was finding ways to make it my own. And my world opened up to travel when I moved to China and taught English for a year. I just met people from all over the planet with so many different ways of living and different cultures. And in immersing myself in that, the world became much smaller and much bigger at the same time. And I became nomadic for a while and traveled as much as I could and met people from everywhere that I could. And, and that really was such a spiritual experience for me. And it was so much fun. And I just, I touched freedom in a way that I didn't ever know that I could. And it just went from there. And I found a way to turn it into a career when I heard about coaching and felt like it was finally something that actually would give me fulfillment rather than just trying to shove myself into an almost thing, like almost social work, almost teaching. 
they never felt fully like me and coaching really did. So yeah, I followed that path and I now developed it outside of just what I learned in terms of best practices into something that really feels like me. Mm. There was so much in there that you said, but I really want to take a moment and zoom in on, I feel like what you described as a kid, like your experience as a kid of being... So for those of you who don't know Mel, Mel is, I guess the kind of sciencey way of putting it would be that you're like, you're for, do you identify with the term highly sensitive person? Yeah. I mean, I don't think I use it very frequently, but anytime anybody talks about it, I'm like, hell yeah, that's me. Yeah. Because it's also incomplete, right? Like for those of you who don't know Mel, Mel is probably the single most intuitive, like you're the single most intuitive person that I've ever met. You are a wide open channel. Like the things that come through you are so powerful. And like I said, are often exactly what's needed in the room. And like what you spoke to is the experience of being a kid who, so if you're listening and you're kind of more in the space where you're like, I think I might be highly sensitive. By the way, you might also be really intuitive also, probably, because those things usually go together. And like one of the things that's so common that I hear is that experience of being a kid and like being able to see the world, like see the room so clearly, see the people around you so clearly, like seeing things that other people can't and feeling so deeply. And then like the experience of like the world wants me to be different or shut down and that you didn't, you stayed open. And like, I'm curious, like, what was that like for you as a kid? Like that experience of being able to see everything and kind of being highly sensitive, but also in our culture, like we don't have language for this shit. Like we don't have, it's not like somebody saw Mel and was like, tapped her on the shoulder and was like, hey, you're a sage and a seer and a healer. And like, let's go cultivate and foster these these things that you naturally had. And like, just I'm curious, what comes up for you? Like, what was that like for you? Yeah. First of all, there are places and cultures where they do that with their children. And sometimes I really yearn for that. Imagine what it would have been like to be valued from the start, because Mm. being valued for it now feels so like such repair, but it was rough, you know, not fully. Like I realized that because I could see and feel everything, I got so many benefits that people are shut down from. Like I could really feel love when it was Mm. coming in. I could feel where other people were so I could be there for them in a deeper way. And the feedback that I've gotten, even from when I've been a child, I know that I am really with people when I'm with them. And that's always been such a beautiful benefit because people are so incredible. And I really get to feel what it's like to be with someone. And I always have. But the overwhelming feeling was that it was crushing. Mm. Because I I have the senses of someone who's been here for a long time, but I had the body of someone who was two years old, three years old, four years old, and was born into a culture that doesn't revere children. So while I could feel and sense everything, I was being told that I knew nothing and being taught things that felt unnatural to me by people who were ignoring themselves in a way that I could viscerally feel was torturous. Mm. And that was family, teachers, even other children. It just, because I didn't understand it and nobody was telling me that the way that I was feeling was okay or right. I thought there was something profoundly wrong with me. Mm -hmm. 
I looked at other people and they're just moving through these things in life with seeming ease. And I was drowning in it. And so it's pathologized and it was medicated very early for me. And um, it really created a story about the way I was supposed to relate to myself. I think a Mm -hmm. lot of people benefited from me thinking that there was something wrong with me because then they didn't have to deal with actually feeling what was there. Oh my gosh. The piece about kind of it being pathologized, but also being drowning in it. That was the phrase you used, like drowning in it. As I remember having that experience as a kid, like looking at everybody else and feeling like, oh, you have a rule book that I didn't, I can see it, but I can't, for some reason, it doesn't come as easily to me as it does to everybody else. And then thinking that there's really something wrong with you because everybody else is able to just step over the thing. It also reminds me of, did you ever read Untamed by Glennon Doyle? The polar bear, she talks about, for those of you who are listening, Glennon Doyle and Untamed, she talks about her daughter, Tish, and how her daughter is like naturally very intuitive, artistic, imaginative, kind of this like, has these kind of qualities of being a seer and the polar bear story, how she came home from school and the teacher had said, well, the polar bears are are dying off. And all of the other kids like went along their way and were just like, oh, that's sad. And like kept playing and doing, you know, like drawing and doing their puzzles and doing their arithmetic or whatever it was. And Tish like sat down and could not stop crying and came home. And every day after that became about the polar bears. And I was like, listening to that, I was like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what it was like. It was like everybody else had this ability to step over things. Like we for sure have this in common. Yeah. I mean, my version of that was that when my parents were going through separation, we had family therapy. All of us were in therapy. And then they got divorced and therapy stopped for everyone except me. Because everybody else was fine and I still needed a lot of support. And it was really talked about. And the projection that I had for myself was like, oh, everybody graduated this thing and I am still not Mm -hmm. over it. And there's something wrong with that because everybody else can like just move on and have their life. But when I look back at it, I'm like, no, they didn't. Everybody just came up with some way to shut themselves down, turn themselves off or manage themselves. And I couldn't be managed. I had to feel it. Yeah, it just, it took such a long time for me to turn around and see it that way. When you said that, my eyes lit up because I had that experience as well of watching, like the experience I had of people stepping over things, which was not obviously like not related to divorce. Like that was really like specific to your story and your experience. And that when I would see people stepping over it, I actually, my reaction, even as a kid was like anger because I was like, oh, this is such bullshit. <laughs> like, I didn't say that because I was, you know, I was like a kid, but it felt like they actually, this is language that you use, that there's actually a part of ourselves that we step over when we do that, that I think you and I could feel very viscerally. And I often notice like sensitive, intuitive people can feel very viscerally. And so then we do find all kinds of ways of like dealing with that. But that's also just interesting because that's like your work now. Yeah. And I would love to say that I, like, I I have remained open in a big way in most of my life. And I'd love to say it's because I had this strong sense of self or whatever, but no, I tried. I watched other people leave parts of themselves out or step over parts of themselves to get ahead. And I wanted to do that. I tried my hardest to Mm. leave that incredibly sensitive girl behind so that I could 
look like everybody else, be like everybody else and be at least externally happy. And every time I tried to leave her out, she would not let me. I just, I didn't have the capacity to close my heart down. Mm. Which is both, you and I have talked about this a lot, like how much of a gift that is, like, and how I see that as being so who you are in the world. Like, that's one of the reasons that I see you able to do the things that you're doing and like have the impact that you have on people and be who you are. And that's fucking hard. Like that the things that we do, actually the things that we do to leave ourselves behind, like there's a utility to them because it keeps us safe and protected. And you had this strength of like, of not doing that, but also that was like brutal on you because it meant that you were feeling everything and you went through your life feeling everything. Yeah. And what I did to curb it a bit was I at least learned how to protect other people from it for the most part. Like sometimes other people would have to be at the impact of my feelings, but I built this really useful people pleaser that even if I was in complete despair, you were going to feel good around me. And if you made me feel bad, you weren't going to feel too bad about it. Or I would forgive you preemptively so that you could feel comfortable around me. And it was just so uncomfortable to be me that the only thing I had access to was like, at least I don't have to spread it. And that was sort of a way of leaving myself behind by thinking that my full expression and how I really felt and who I really was was not something that was like fit for consumption and that I would come up with a more palatable version to get out. Mm -hmm. Which is also something I feel like when you grow up with that level of sensitivity, it can be easy because of the way that we kind of collectively relate to emotions and sensitivity, that it's easy to relate to it as like dangerous in some way. Because there's a degree to which, you know, when little kids are like really feeling big feelings... And, you know, like the community around them doesn't necessarily know how to hold it because they don't have the tools either. None of us really have these tools that it's like, it feels like in a young mind, so dangerous to feel a lot. So then there's all this stuff about protecting other people. I do this all the, actually, I was just having a conversation the other day about, I was like, oh, this thing I'm doing, I'm like, I'm actually protecting you, not me. That was like an offshoot of like a version of this, right? What does that look like for you, Mel? Like. So I've also seen you inside of TCC and in your coaching, like in the last couple of years, you have quantum leaped a hundred times over in terms of, and you've always been powerful, but I feel like I've seen you really like come into yourself in a way that has so much gravity and just inhabiting who you are in this incredibly beautiful way that has opened up so much possibility for the people who know you. Like, what has that looked like as a grown up? (laughs) like as an adult to relearn how to support your sensitivity and your intuition and like use it with intention. Yeah. What does that look like? Right away, my brain kind of put it into two different categories, like the internal and the external. And internally, it's been a ton of deep healing work. Like the next level of going in and looking at all of the mechanisms I've created to make myself more palatable or make myself smaller. All of the places where I was attached to being related to as weak or wrong or too sensitive, people have stopped saying that to me and I kept saying it to myself. So I had to go in there and talk to that voice that was perpetuating those things and be like, hey, that's expired. What do you need? 
and really going into these very, very tender, very sensitive, very protected parts of me and do whatever it took to untangle that pain. And that's where a lot of my integration work comes from, that it's not just going in in one moment and saying, oh, this thing that I developed over time is now hurting me, but to actively practice it going differently and going in and tending to it constantly, like a spiritual hygiene, not just a one and done. So that's been the internal in like the most brief way that I could say it. And the external has been surrounding myself with people who value me. It's such deep medicine to just have people see me and start saying the things that I've always known in my heart. You know, I think a lot of the thing that I had shame about was that I was always looking for external validation. And I was, I was like begging to be seen. And when I was begging to be seen from people who who didn't have the capacity or the desire or the willingness to see me, it looked like desperation. And when I started surrounding myself with people who could see me already, it just looked like reciprocity. And there is no more like begging or any of that desperation. When I'm around people that I'm fully aligned with, they just reflect my power back to me. And that really does fuel me. It fuels us. That's We're wired for connection, whether we like it or not. And I do like it most times now, most of the time now, because even some of the things that I haven't fully owned as valuable in me, someone will share with me that it is. And not just in a kind, ethereal way, but really like tangible ways. Like I'm in a few people's books at their in their acknowledgments that their life's work was impacted by me and tons of different things in people's lives where they can say, this moment, this achievement, this experience of myself went this way because I know you. And that really gives me a lot of grounding and rootedness in in my value. What that also brings to mind is just first off, what a gift it is on teams and families to actually like reflect to each other what your impact is, which is something you do beautifully. And like hearing the process that you went through and the role that that acknowledgement played and you being able to really see yourself. Like, I think sometimes in the self-development world, it can be like, love yourself first. And that actually there is something about when you're in right partnership and you are in like communities that are secure and honor you, like that can be part of the healing process. That can be part of your access to that self-love and to that self-reverence. And then the other thing that kind of jumped into my mind, you said that beautifully. You were like, I was begging for people like in these communities or these relationships that weren't really honoring of you that that you would find yourself begging to be seen. That was what you said. And like begging for almost like that reverence. How do you see people? You work with people every day. Like how do you see people doing that? What are some of the most common things uh, that are evidence that we're begging to be seen? This is beautiful because like one of the most respected ones, the sneaky, subtle ones are accolades at work. People are like, let me put another few letters behind my name, or let me get another, get into another tax bracket. And then people will know how much I'm worth. And that one is like, yeah, do that. And then I will value you more. It's just so solidified in this agreed upon reality that we are worth more when we climb this ladder. And very often, I, I don't see people even interested in in breaking up that illusion because there's so many benefits to it. 
but also, you know, in a lot of the ways that people date, they date to get their needs met rather than to get to know someone. And like, yeah, go get your needs met in relationship, but like needing to be seen and then really hating people when they don't see you the right way and Mm -hmm. having relationships be super messy, dates be super messy because it's like you put somebody in this position to get it wrong with you. Mm. And then they do. Yeah. I mean, even in friendships, people have this deep need to be seen, but no ability to articulate it. So they just, you know, they set people up to disappoint them. And that's not to say that people don't actually disappoint you even when you are, you know, willing to say what you need. But those are the biggest ones that I see. People looking to look more important based on their external accolades and people having a hope that they'd be seen, but a true belief that they never will be. And then meeting people and getting into relationship with people that will perpetuate that. So good. It also reminds me of the, I've done this before and it's something that I see all the time because I I work with a lot of highly sensitive people or a lot of really intuitive, like relationship oriented people who wear that. I don't love the word codependency sometimes because it's very pathologizing, but where we kind of, I'll say we, because I do it too, where we intuitively over deliver or step over our own needs. And then like when we're not receiving a lot in return out of hopes that eventually I will give enough that they will see me. And then like, they'll realize how valuable I am. They'll see how hard I'm working and I will finally feel seen and loved in this relationship. And like, you can play that game ad nauseum and actually, and and outside of like relationships, right? So there's a very tangible way that this can show up in relationships, especially romantic ones or like friendships, but also at work where you're like, I'm going above and beyond. I'm doing everything for everybody. And everyone's going like, great. And now I can rely on them and ask them, you know, where's that thing? And Or it's kind of like, mom, where's the ketchup? You know? And then you sort of secretly like resent because you're not actually getting... You're playing a game that's unwinnable and where you can never actually receive the thing that you need to and want to. And it's like this way that we... I, <laughs> right? Like sometimes I will erode my own sense of self-love because it's it's actually like, it's not nice. It's like a, not a nice thing that we do to ourselves. Yes, me too, first of all. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And the harsh reality of that, especially for those of us who are completely sensitive, is that we're the creator of that. And we can go to a bunch of other sensitive people and say, oh my gosh, this person, look what they did to me. And we can get all of the, oh, poor baby, I can't believe that. But what's true is that I don't look at what my boundaries are. I don't honor and value them. I don't uphold them. And then I really like just throw up all over somebody in front of me and say, like, you deal with it. You value this boundary that I haven't spoken to myself, let alone you. (laughs) (laughs) Or even worse, and most frequently, we say, I cross my boundaries. Why don't you cross yours? Why aren't you overgiving? Why aren't you depleting of yourself while I'm doing that? And that's not actually virtuous at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And them. Well, then even thinking of like, if that's the end result, like what does a team look like that's always doing that? What does a partnership look like that's always doing that? Like, it's an unwinnable game that actually makes it impossible to ever receive and like be nourished, really. 
And like what's possible when you put that down is like a team or a relationship or a partnership where people are sovereign and value their own needs and actually are resourced and able to meet each other with like where they're at. Yeah. There's so much sustainability in it too, because it invites the most authentic version of the person because they have the stability, they have the resources, they have the boundaries to feel safe to be themselves. And when everybody is more themselves, then they're put into the positions that really make them shine. And when everybody's shining, everything moves forward. So this isn't in opposition to achievement and growth and success. It's a more sustainable fuel for it than expectations or, you know, unspoken expectations and stepping over boundaries and uh, coercive power dynamics. It gives a cleaner fuel. Mm -hmm. So good. Switching gears slightly. One of the things, Mel, you are brilliant at and it's one of your superpowers and that you've mentioned a couple of times is your integration work. For you, what is integration? The first thing I want to say is like integration is the whole game. It's everything. To me, integration is the difference between having a moment where you like a little blip on the screen where you remember who you are for a moment versus living a life as someone who remembers who they are. It's Mm -hmm. weaving these little sparks into our day-to-day moments. And it's very grounded and connected to living a life. So I talk about it in terms of healing sessions, but even just like if you go to a motivational speech, if you are on a retreat, if you had a near-death experience, like any moment that could be the catalyst for change, integration ensures that it is. And it puts it back in your court. A lot of people will go and seek out a peak experience of some kind, and then they'll expect it to just naturally change their entire lives. And sometimes it can be a big shift, but being willing to do integration work is saying, I'm going to make sure that the things that I remembered about myself, the things that I know to be true, the things that I shed that weren't true, I'm going to cultivate a space where I'll keep remembering this. And um, it takes intention, it takes consistency, and it takes attaching action to something that may have otherwise been intangible. Wait, I love this so much. I want to add some context around it. I was actually Googling something in the background. I was trying to find a statistic that jumped into my mind, but then I couldn't find it. So we're just going to, we're going to fly off the cuff here. But I just remembered this statistic from my like hardcore organizational development days and my boss who'd been doing that work for like a lot of years, like 30 years, something like that, would share the statistic where he'd say, trainings, only something like 10 to 15% of the content, I might, y'all that figure might be off, but I believe it was like 10 to 15% of the content that you get trained on actually ends up having an effect and like being sustained a year down the line, two years down the line, like actually long-term behavioral change. And to place it into context, right? Like you're listening to a podcast, you're reading a book, you have an insight while you're driving and it's like, ooh, I know the thing. Like, I get it. I get it. I get the thing that is in my way or what my next level is, or you have some kind of insight, but then it like doesn't, there's like a, 
an interference that can happen where we don't like live it and it doesn't become integrated with who we are and embodied. And it's often the thing that's like missing in coaching and training and basically any form of learning. You could just be reading like a Google or like a Yahoo article or something on like Yahoo Finance or Forbes or whatever. And I don't know. I just mentioned those two. I never, never read those. I never really read those two, those two publications, but, and how important that is. And you do it, you support people with that work so naturally. Like, would you be willing to share kind of tidbits of wisdom that like you see support people with the process of integration? Sure. First of all, all of it is useless without willingness. So I never tell people like we have to do integration work. I ask them if they're willing to. And if they're not, I refer them out to someone else. If people aren't willing to be the leader of their lives, then it won't work. I I look back at like old journals of mine and I'll write something down that is like, I'm reading it and I'm like, oh my God, I didn't know that 23 year old Melanie knew this because she didn't. (laughs) She heard it. She wrote it, she felt it, but she did not embody it. And so I think really the difference is taking a little bit of value out of intellectual knowing for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Just drop the need to know it logically a bit and start weaving it into embodiment. It does not matter what you know in your head. That's going to drop out. (laughs) And even if it doesn't drop out, if you keep it in your head your whole life, you can know that love is powerful. But if you don't ever actually let yourself love and be loved, who cares? You just walked around with that knocking around in your brain your whole life. Congratulations. The biggest thing about integration is you deserve the things that you know. You deserve to live the things that you know. Mm. So, some tangible things that people can take with them to do some of their own is like pick out some things that you know in your head that you really wish you were experiencing. Maybe take some time to meditate or write about what you know or what you hope to be true and then start attaching some very simple actions to it. It can be something as silly as, you know, if you take the love example, going into your closet and dressing like someone who is in love or telling somebody that you love them that you haven't told in a while. Very little actions, but just starting to plant seeds into your actual life that embody the thing that you want to weave in. That's the start of it. Mm. It also just reminded me of, I often have this conversation with clients who where and it's so human, right? Like we want an experience outside of ourselves. Like I would like this team to be more blank or I want a sense of more belonging or my word for 2024. Is that the year we're in? I just had a, my brain just glitched yeah. and was like, what year is it? Um, but where are we? Is it still 2018? Uh, kind of. Kind of, kind of. But uh, is, is aliveness. And it's like, okay, rather than looking to your relationship or your environment and being like, give me more of this. Like, I, or I need to go find a team that has more belonging. I need to go find a relationship that has more aliveness. I need to go like kind of playing Goldilocks with our surroundings, right? 
which I literally got that term from my older brother looked at me in, I think it was around 2017. And he's like, you keep like looking for the right thing. And it's like, it's internal. And I remember being like, Mah! like, fuck off, you know, but uh, <laughs> I didn't like advice back then. But I was like, I don't want I don't want to hear it. But like actually going and being at first, like if you want more belonging on your team, what does it look like for you to embody belonging first? Like, what does it look like for you to embody aliveness first? Yeah. It's like a, a much more powerful, yeah, conversation. It is. And perhaps bad news, no matter where you go, there you are. So a lot of people who avoid integration, it's because they want the external thing to be the difference. No, when I get this promotion, I will be happy. No, when I break up with this ideal person, then I'll be happy. This idea that we have to find what fits rather than be what fits is the Mm. the avoidance of it. That it really is an internal thing. And once that is realized, and, and it's a process of realization over and over and over, but in the moment of realization of it, you kind of look around and find that you can create what you said you wanted out of anything. And it's not about going and finding that one perfect person or that one perfect idea or doing that one perfect thing. It's about being who you truly are such that the things that align with you can find you and that you can go find them. That's so fucking important. And I'm constantly learning that lesson like over and over and over again. I feel like that's the practice too. It's like whenever you find yourself reaching or kind of, and you and I have talked about this, like in my various parts of parts of my life where I'm like, maybe it's something isn't quite right. Something's not quite right here. Like I need to kind of like shift my weight or kind of like adjust the thing. And and there's a time and a place for that, right? Like listening to yourself and you're creating, like you are actually the one who's creating your experience. And so noticing any of those places where you are grasping at something and like, I just need to find the right whatever or the right orientation to be able to have a certain experience and instead actually cultivating it right where you stand. And this might be going like a a level a little bit too far, but for those of you who can follow me with it, even the moments that you're grasping on and controlling belong in the process of integration. Mm that integration is not a perfection thing. It really actually requires the room for imperfection and the room for the desire for perfection. Every single part of the process is part of the process. It's not a weeding things out so then you can be good at integration. It's expanding to make more room for all of who you are, including the parts of you that are masks of your true self or habits that you haven't shed fully yet, really allowing every piece of who you are to come to the table and be valuable. Dude, that wasn't too far at all. That's exactly... I actually had a friend voxer me the other day and ask about... She's talking about how like, often in spiritual communities, it can feel like or even transformational work, right? That you're kind of like chasing an outcome. Like you're chasing an experience of transformation. And it's like to the detriment of the part of you that's not transformed. It's Or that's like, whatever is actually truly showing up in the moment. And then you go into the flip side of that is like going into shadow work. But then sometimes that can be like, you're sitting in mud 
you know, which is cool. And this idea that actually, so, and this is a thing we talk about at TCC all the time, right? Like that really, what does it look like if everything belongs, every single thing that's showing up in in the container is in support of the process and in support of what's happening. And when we are in those conversations in TCC or like when you and I talk about it one-on-one and other places that I've talked about it, I notice that the only time that I stop in everything belongs is in the places where I don't belong to myself yet. Mm. The things that I'm like, oh yeah, accept that or that really needs to change before we can accept it. It's a self-acceptance conversation somewhere deep within me. Mm -hmm. So true. Yeah, like there's something usually in those moments It's like, what is the thing inside of you that you're rejecting or alienating or judging? Mm -hmm. And being willing to just like do what you can with what you have with where you are is really brave. Like as I sit here talking about integration, as if I'm an expert on it, it's something that I'm still learning. And the audacity to speak the things that I've, I've learned and what I know for where I am without the need to be so perfect at it before I talk about it is the way that we walk each other home. And it takes a lot of all of us at different levels. Some things are, you know, really comfortable for me that are terrifying for other people and things that are completely comfortable for them are terrifying for me. And when we open up and share where we've come, we bring others along. And I noticed that the people who want to be of most service are the most critical on themselves. And so, you know, rather than it being, oh, I, I, it's because I want to provide excellence to people. And maybe that's part of it, but there is a piece that's like stinginess of like, I'm not willing to be seen in my imperfection to serve you. So I'm going to withhold my gifts until I feel right. And that part being willing to sit with that part, talk to that part and come up with something that allows you to be more out loud, more generous, more generative with where you are on your path. That's the part that gets into a place where we're really supporting each other. Mm. So beautiful. Actually, Mel, are you, this is feeling like a really good point to shift to the questions that I like to ask everyone. Is there anything else you want to, that feels top of mind or like it's coming through on this before we do that? No, sounds like a good time. You and I have done a shit ton of growth and healing work together and individually and like all of the things. What's been the most impactful modality or experience you've moved through in your life thus far? Hmm. I love that you changed it from favorite to most impactful because I don't know if those would be the same. Oh, really? Oh, that's you can also speak to both if you want to. Yeah. I don't know if I have a favorite one. I love what I'm doing. I love the life I'm building. And everything that has made it possible for me to expand this way has been excruciating. And maybe it's, maybe (laughs) I find like, yeah, maybe I find some love and joy in it. But like, damn, calling it my favorite feels like a dare towards something that I do not want to threaten. It's true. Um, It's really, really true. But really, you know, talk therapy, SSRIs, traveling, religion, spirituality, channeling, Reiki, plant medicine. I've really gone, you know, different modalities of therapy, whether it's conscious mind or or subconscious mind work. I've done tons. And the most impactful thing has been my integration work, the integration work that I've done. And coupled with 
plant medicine has been the thing that has shifted my mind, rewired my brain to a place where I knew it was possible. I knew that I could have this sense of self. I could feel it somewhere in there, but nothing else that I worked on, nothing else that I did dug into the place that I knew was there. No matter how much I willed it to happen, no matter how much I believed it could, I personally needed the support of psychedelic therapy and healing to get into the depths of myself in the way that that supported me to do. And I say that it's still the integration thing that's been the most impactful because no matter how powerful those experiences were without weaving them in my day-to-day and the humility it takes to learn what I saw, like really learn it in this lifetime, in this space, that's what's made the lasting difference. Also, just to put in a shameless plug for you. So the retreat that Mel and I went on, oh my God, was it two years ago? Oh my God, it was two years ago. Wait. Oh, I was on the second one with you. Two years ago today for my first one. Holy shit. Yeah. So almost two years for ours. And so actually, I feel like we could almost record a second podcast on what those two years after your initial plant medicine journey have looked like. But I had the same experience where for me, plant medicine combined with integration work, if one without the other was not Mm going to do it. In fact, one without the other could have actually made things harder, in my opinion. And that you in particular, like knowing you and having you in my life was one of the most important things in the integration of my journey. I had a very intense experience as people often do. And like your intuition and ability to see things in a different way. And like, I would just shoot you a text message or something and you'd be like, you know, kind of fire back a question. And I'd be like, oh, suddenly something like a a thread would get pulled loose. If anyone, if any of you are ever interested in that work or looking for additional support as you come back from a journey, like full endorsement, you're the person for that. And also just to like normal, a lot of people are having that experience where it's like where plant medicine is so healing and allows us to access not like to the detriment of our sensitivity or our intuition or all of the things that make us open and empathic and all of those things, but like actually learning to creating some like more stability in the system and kind of altering our brain chemistry to be able to hold those things. Same, same. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Thank you so much for saying that. And it really compounds the healing for me to know that, you know, that dramatic, overly sensitive little girl, all of the things that made her that way are the reason that I can go into any alternate world that people get into in those spaces and help them walk back into this one. And yeah, it makes all of that so worth it. Mm. Oh my gosh, that's a beautiful way of putting it. That's exactly what it feels like. And just your openness, like you, nothing scares you, nothing freaks you. Like I could be like, I'm, you know, also in the days afterwards where you're still kind of like seeing things and feeling things that, you know, I I woke up at two o'clock in the morning and was back in ceremony in my bedroom. Like, and Mel's just like, yeah, cool. Like, what's just right with you. Mel, you and I do also do a lot of leadership work. I feel like there are a lot of like narratives in the world about what leadership is. What's yours? Oh, leadership is service 
and the humility to get to know yourself again every day and knowing that you're not separate from the people that call you leader, but that they are leading you as well. What's the medicine you would offer the world's leaders if you could? The deep embodied experience that every leader is in this mycelium network of other leaders, that we're all doing it together, that you're not pulling it alone ever. Mm. Mel, I have a sneaking suspicion people will want to get in contact with you after they listen to this episode and like all of just the brilliance and insight that you brought on it. Where can people find more of you? Do you have anything going on right now that people want to work with you or yeah, connect with so you? If you're interested in what it looks like in my practice, my website's probably the best first stop, chiefexecutiveangel.com. And, you know, I wrote all the things that are on there and put it up there and made it pretty. So if you're looking for more of a, an interactive experience, book a call with me. That's on the site too. And if you want to just see more of who I am, my Instagram is the same name, Chief Executive Angel. And I try to get real on there, even though you know it, it's a limited medium. But yeah, those are the places that I hang out most internet-wise. And I'm always happy to have a call. There's an option for a 20-minute chat. So if you just are like, maybe I want to know this person, come get to know me. And I'd love to get to know you. Highly recommend it. Mel, you've been such, just like as a friend, as a colleague, someone else who's, you know, on our team. I hope everyone, this really lands as just a ringing endorsement and just speaking to who you are in the world that it literally every space you're in is transformed as a consequence of the things that you bring and the things that you see. If any of you have any curiosity to reach out to Mel, I highly, highly recommend it. Even just being friends with you and not necessarily working in a professional capacity or like hiring you, like has just been so transformative for my life. And I know that every, I think everybody says that to you. I think you've gotten that feedback literally everywhere. So definitely reach out to Mel. She's a brilliant coach. And Mel, do you have any closing thoughts you want to say before we sign off? I just want to say thank you to everyone who's listening here. Lauren and I really go wherever the wind blows. And if you've stayed on, it really means a lot to know that you came with us. And Lauren, I want to thank you for having me, not just having me on your podcast, but having me in your life. It's Mm -hmm. just as much of a joy and a delight to know you. And a lot of the transformation that I have had, a lot of the rooting in who I am comes from who you are. Mm. Thank you, love. Okay, everyone, we'll see you in a couple weeks and reach out to Mel and we'll see you soon.